0: Is
1: cruising you guys like cruises you like if you got on a cruise oh,
0: yeah. That's not interesting. I think if you're going to be, the best thing is to go with good friends or family or something. <laughs> Not John. Not John. He's all on his
1: own. I was joking. They have their own. No, it doesn't sound attractive to me. I, It's like a floating latrine.
0: <laughs> I can see you, you sunbathing by the moon. <laughs> I can see. We have
1: had some friends go like a party boat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can yeah. see that happening about go to the party. But I, I think Nancy'd go crazy because she has to move so much. She'd be in a boat with not she she wouldn't like it at all. I think. <laughs> all right, we're at one, we're 10:30. Let's start our Bible study. Let's pray. The blessed lord has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning grant to in such wise hear them read mark learn and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which has given us in our savior jesus christ hello we uh, hope you got the email. We're going to do a couple of verses of chapter one and jump in chapter two. But it's really important. Um, it's actually really important throughout the Bible to know where you are. Um, in context and in symbol, because all the things that are said only make their complete sense if you know where you are. So. The images of Chapter One so far um, have have um, been a tissue of images from, from the Old Testament. First of all, the revelation of Jesus as the one like the Son of Man, the Daniel seven figure who fulfills who's going to you know, fulfills the covenant. We get more and more of that, um, and um, and then the setting for this, what we're going to see, is symbolically connected to the temple. But it's not just, you know, bopping into the Holy of Holies and says, this means that, and that means that. Actually, these these images of the temple are to some degree developed more. Um, And so this is why i said we started revelation that looking to the old testament is so important because once we for example we've talked to jesus being one like the son of man then he is the he is the guy who fulfills the covenant this is he's he's connected to jesus appearance here is connected to daniel 7 13 14 and there's that and then with this temple imagery we 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 get the, the new testament reality jesus is fulfilled The old covenant has fulfilled the temple and that all of that worship has now been fulfilled and superseded by this new arrangement we're going to see here. And that's what, that's what this is is about. And so we have to understand that's where we're in. So we're in a fulfilled temple. And in that fulfilled temple, um, it's being, you know, the, 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 world and the church is being ruled over by Jesus the Messiah. Just fulfilled the covenant that made to Israel. Um, so I said we'd, um, start at, um, verse 18 and, In 18, it says, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, am I alive forevermore? And I have the keys of Hades and death. And I um, referred you to a couple of passages there um, that are significant. Do you remember what they were?
0: So i left it okay. in my car. So, I okay. to get to it. so huh? 22.
1: Isaiah 22 22. So, let's look at Isaiah 22 22. Isaiah 22 22 says, um, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open, and no one shut. And he shall shut, and no one open. And I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. But the, the main point 22, that that uh, he, he shall open. So the key, the image of, of the Messiah is the key who opens, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. This is repeated, then, also, in um, revelation 3 7 it's where it's it's more verbatim so a lot of letters to the churches we hearken back um in in chapter 3 verse 7 to the angel of the church in philadelphia right these things says he who is holy he who is true he who has the key of david he who opens and no one shuts and shuts, and no one opens. So in Revelation 3, 7, we have a direct quote from Isaiah twenty um, 22. So here, at the beginning in chapter 18, the keys of Hades and death, and we get a sense of what he's opening and shutting. Um, so what is Hades? And this is something, these are not just euphemisms for you know, something that there's, 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 it's important to understand what Hades is. If he has the keys of Hades, what is Hades? The place of the dead. What's the Hebrew equivalent word? Sheol. 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 So in the Bible, when you die, at least in the, in the, in the uh, pre-resurrection world, uh, there's an intermediate place. Before the appearance of Christ, it was understood in the Greek to be Hades, and in the Hebrew, Sheol. And uh, that was the place where the disembodied spirits, the the bodies are in the ground, their spirits are in the space. Now, there did develop, um, and at the end of the Old Testament, that's what Israel believed, that, that you went to be with your fathers. you were in Sheol. And there wasn't, it wasn't very defined. Now, in the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, say uh, 450 BC until the time of Christ, the theology of the intermediate state developed in Judaism. Why did it develop in Judaism? Well, because. When the promise of land and prosperity and descendants in the land went away, and Israel was for 400-plus years a a nation subject to other conquering nations, and especially when sometimes those conquering nations uh, killed, like like in the this is, in, in, and part of this is chronicles. It's one of the reasons the apocryphal book of Maccabees, especially First Maccabees, uh, which chronicles the, um, it's written about 175 B.C., and it's, well, the events of it are that, and, and it chronicles how the, so history-wise, the Babylonians destroyed the Old Testament temple in 586 B.C., the Babylonians were conquered by the Medo-Persians, and the Persians and King Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back and build the temple. Cyrus the Persian is is well thought of in the Scripture, and it's one reason also has been a a history of connection between uh, uh, Persia and Israel, in the Bible, because. Uh, the Persians were more favorable to the Jews, allowed them to rebuild, and they were in Persia for a while before they came back. And this lends some connection to the idea that um, we have a lot of traditions about the Magi being three kings. Uh, but there's it's e- it's equally and and I'm, that that symbolism deals with the villain of prophecy, but. It, it may well be that the Magi are actually Persian uh figures, ambassadors, astrologers. There was this caste in Persia. And because of a connection, they had heard one born king of the Jews, and they had an interest that there was a connection between Persian and Israel. So um and then the Persians were conquered by the Greeks, like everybody was, and Alexander, and Alexander died, he left um his kingdom, the four generals, and one descendant of one of the generals was the wicked king Antiochus, who who invades uh, Israel uh, and and the temple, which was rebuilt under under uh, by Cyrus, allowed to have rebuilt, finished in 5, 515 B.C. Um, Antiochus tried to make everybody Hellenistic. For bad circumcision, uh, threatened, uh, killed Israelites who 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 circumcised their children, and um, and then Maccabees talks about the Maccabean revolt, the book of First Maccabees, and it tells about how um, Judas Maccabeus and his sons uh, re- uh, rebelled against Antiochus, withdrew into the wilderness, conducted a guerrilla warfare and defeated antiochus and then rededicated the temple which becomes a jewish feast now hanukkah which is not a biblical feast it's a it's an intertestamental testamental feast um so um that's a long excursus to say that when israelites started dying in battle for the law for the torah that a shift in the theology came to the idea that well Everyone dies and goes to Sheol, but there's a little bit of distinction what's going on there in Sheol. And we we, we sing one of these things at, our, at funerals sometimes from the Book of Wisdom, which is also an apocryphal book, where it says the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no and there shall no torment touch them. in the sight of the unwise they seem to die, but they are at peace. We don't usually sing the rest of it, but it goes on to say, as for the unrighteous, it's not so with them. (laughs) And and what's interesting about that is that when we get to um, the New Testament and Jesus and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he seems to put his imprimatur on that theology of wisdom by saying that the rich man dies... And uh and and Abraham and and the poor uh, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, comforted, and the rich man dies, and, and in Hades or Sheol, he's now tormented. So in this intermediate state, Jesus introduces, sort of baptizing this intertestamental development, a distinction between the righteous and the salvation we challenged, so to say. Um and So, the point here about the keys of death in Hades is that, um, to be saved, you have to be brought out of Sheol Hades. Because that's where you're stuck. There's, there's, that's where the dead are stuck. Because they're, why? Because there's no resurrection yet. And, and we talked about this in the Jewish hope. There is no fulfillment of the hope that is not an embodied life that doesn't involve the Resurrection. So this is why they looked for the Resurrection and couldn't understand. And they were actually, even to this day, It's why all the ascetic Jews, the ortho, ultra-orthodox in Israel, are buried on the Mount of Olives. That's where they think the Resurrection has taken place. They wanted front row seats, because the Messiah is going to come and raise Israel and restore her to prominence. I mean, and God's going to raise it. So when it says here that I have the keys of Hades and death, um, Jesus is the one who delivers from Hades into euphemistically the place of blessedness, and then ultimately to the resurrection, the resurrection to eternal life. And those who are not delivered from the captivity in Sheol Hades have the resurrection, which is not to life. And at the end of Revelation, we have a great judgment. And we'll see this, um, if you look at Revelation um, 20. 20.13. The image of judgment in Revelation 20, um, well, look, let's start at, at, at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and he was sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were ju- were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, and each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. So the intermediate state of Hades becomes the final state of what Jesus called Gehenna, the lake of fire. And that's where the intermediate state of souls becomes permanent at the final judgment. And anyone not found written in the Book of Life was cast in the lake of fire. And what Revelation and John posit is that because um, we've participated in the first resurrection, which is baptism and faith, buried with Christ and baptism, which were raised with him through faith, which will be the big theme of Easter Vigil and Easter participation in the Resurrection? We are already alive, so we're not subject yet to any of this. The, the, the we'll, we'll go to the intermediate state, and which which is now understood to be Jesus has cleared his elect. When Jesus when it says in 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 uh, the, the way to envision this. It is that the, it says in um, Ephesians that when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And the idea is that anyone that all his were held captive by the grave, by Hades, he delivered because he has the keys. And if he opens it, he can take them out. And if he closes it, they can't leave. That's what that verse means. So he took his out of that place of captivity into what the New Testament calls paradise or with Christ, or even just asleep, this arrest of sleep. Uh and we don't we don't want to run too far with what that means, but but that's the whole point. So when he says he has the keys of Hades and death, it means he is Lord of the dead. He who descended into Hades. And made the gospel retroactive, and therefore, in his uh, resurrection and ascension, those who are his go with him out of that cap- place of captivity. So, so uh, is there any distinction between because it separates death and life? Death, death is part. Of I think it's. I think it's just. I think it's um, a Hebrew parallelism meaning essentially the same thing, yes, yeah. When So let, let's think about it this way. The, and this is a John writing, and this is John is very clear about this. We, in John's language, through faith in Jesus and the waters of baptism, we have eternal life. Therefore, when we die, that life continues on in a place that is described as in paradise with Christ or asleep. Those who are not don't have eternal life. That's who goes to to the place the holding tank the departed. So, not in the in the sense of of um. So, so in a sense, no, we don't go there. We go to an intermediate state that now is where those who belong to Christ go.
0: They are judged.
1: Anyone not found really written the book of life? Of life?
0: It's pretty clear. No. They're going to give it a chance. That's
1: it. At the Well, end. I mean, the end. Whole, well, okay, here's the point let's just be clear about that and I'm not we're not to judge people you know what God's doing but the whole urgency of preaching the gospel is that that death is the end of your opportunity to to repent and believe right. and so the idea that and we'll be clear about this even though we don't we don't believe in the developed medieval doctrine of purgatory however it should be understood that that everybody in purgatory in the medieval idea was saved. They weren't. They were, the, the idea, it was simply an overly graphic presentation of ongoing purgation for those who are living in Christ. So, Hades is no life at all. So the Church believes that that you know, that, and, and Saint Paul talks about this too in Corinthians, where he says um, uh, each one's work will will be judged by fire, and the fire will test everyone's work. If work which which he has done endures through the fire, he'll get a reward. If it doesn't endure, the works won't go with you, but you yourself will be saved, but through fire. Okay. That's the idea.
0: So, I'm sorry. The question is why even have Hades? Why not just automatically pay for those that don't believe? I mean, why are they being judged?
1: Because the resurrection hasn't taken place yet. Because the, the consummation, the end point of the gospel is the appearance of Christ and the resurrection. And everybody who's departed is still waiting for that, like we are. This is a New Testament doctrine. St. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. Don't be afraid like those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so he will bring with them those who sleep in him. Because everybody's waiting, and this is the big logical, this is the big error, or a big error, not maybe it's not the big error, a lot of big errors, but uh, uh, in our time, the idea that all being saved means is dying going to heaven. That's not the end point. The, the, throughout the New Testament, the endpoint is the coming of Christ and resurrection. And both dead and living wait for that. Even if the, the departed in Christ has some ongoing existence in the intermediate state prior to that. And those who are not in Christ are waiting that final sentencing as well. That final—it's not sentencing, and this is what you. Have, this is what I think we have to understand because it talks about judgment. But it, even here, use the word judge, but it's more that if you don't have life, it just revealed you don't have life. And that's why it says here earlier in Revelation where it said that that um, that the earth and the sea fled from Christ. It's it's if we don't have the Holy Spirit, if we don't have that work of God purifying us. We're not going to be able to be with him. His presence will will burn us up. It's too glorious, and therefore, to not receive him and receive the life that is him is him is to be separate. You can't be there. It's and that's that's the. This is the image that that if you want a more the nuanced image of this is brought out to some degree in um, the Great Divorce. C.S. Lewis's novel about the journey, and you see that as people make the migration from the, the, the gray city to you know, the mountain where there's redemption, it's hard to move into reality. You can't walk on the grass, and it's frightening to be in the, uh, and so, so to be saved is to become real. It is to become full of of real stuff. But to be apart from that, it's just, it's illusory. There's nothing there. And that's that's the, it's not that God, it it isn't even so much, I mean, you know, what people do, there are consequences for. But you either, um, you're either connected to life, you're not connected to life. You're not connected to life. When life is revealed, you, you, you literally and biologically and spiritually can't live there. It would be like being in outer space without a, without the, the equipment that allow you to live there. So that's what Jesus died to, save us from that. And that's why he says, repent, believe, receive the Holy Spirit, come into the kingdom. Be saved from what? From where you are. It's not a future salvation, it's right now. It's saved from life and separation from God. To me, it does sound like it talks about fire. Here, I mean, I might have this wrong, but I would think it's the fires of fire that are going to torch out things and refine us to that endpoint where we can be placed in this special place. And I look at I had to settle this in my own head, saying, same as you're doing. But what I come to is, I don't have a problem with being brought about in my two great herds being brought up to make main men. They all come in to this one main gate. And as they come in, dogs start separating. Because the guy who's bringing his herd in has collected all these other ones. Breeds a pump with it. He knows where she would Sends the dog in, and as they're coming towards two gates, the dogs are pulling the ones that aren't his into this bed. ones that aren't his are going into this pen, much nicer place, but yet it's a place where he has the be keys in the 40, locked open. And the event begins, besides who comes out, rises, and the other is the spotters. So, so the. Oh, I well, I think that's a good analogy. I, 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 think, I think the only thing to remember here, again, you know, Jesus saves us from sin, death, hell. That's a it's a real thing. And 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 then the, it's like, yeah, this is this is the portrayal of the reality of of, of the implications of the gospel in the implications of living apart from God and rejecting the gospel. It's, 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 it's not, it's just, it's a little bit jarring only to us because we've rejected it as a culture. So we are witnesses to it and be like, ah, what do you mean? Everyone's, you know, they have all these kind of false ideas, but that's not what it says. So let's move on a little bit. So that's, um, that's the, 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 so Jesus has the keys and if he opens and lets us in, he's in, we're in. That's the idea. And so he says, um, write these things that you have seen. And uh, the word seen there refers to sort of understood and things which are and the things which will take place after that. So he's seeing things that that, that, um, that are a certain way. He's going to see some things that are going to yet take place. And what we're seeing in Revelation symbolically uh, in signs is the heavenly reality of what's going on in earth. It looks a lot different if you're looking at it on earth. But we're seeing, the heavenly reality of the thing we're seeing. So let's bear that in mind. So verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lamps the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So let's start with the first one. So what, um, the lampstands are the seven churches. What's the significance of that?
0: I think of the lampstands.
1: Uh, light. So, so wh- where does the lampstand imagery come from?
0: From, the
1: old From and where was the lampstand lo, lampstand located in the temple? In where in the temple? In the holy of holies. Holy of holies. Who went into the holy of holies? How often? Once, once, a a year. once a year. So no one got there. Now Jesus is saying that lampstand signifies the churches who are always there. The
0: Holy Spirit.
1: And so. Um, Oops, uh, once
0: a hmm? said once a in the
1: Jewish faith of the Old Testament, you had you had the Holy of Holies, you had two parts in the temple. You had, you know, the Holy of Holies, and then you had the rest of it. And you had a big curtain that separated the, 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 the temple from the Holy of Holies. No one ever went, this is where God dwelled, where the Ark of the Covenant was, um, and the cherubim overshadowing the ark and the mercy seat, and so um, the ordinary sacrifices were were offered outside at this altar during the year. Once a year, the high priest went behind the curtain and offered all these things for to atone for sins for the whole year. What the Epistle to the Hebrews explains to us is Jesus, the high priest, went through this curtain, which is the real temple in heaven, and that's why on Good Friday the veil of the temple is torn, and the curtain's torn, and now he opens it up. So when he says here that the seven landstands or the seven churches, they are in the Holy of Holies perpetually. And I gave a verse to look at there, um, which is Ephesians 3, 3 through 5. So in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, That's wrong. Three, yeah. Wait a minute, that's not right. Um. That's for verse
0: 20.
1: I think I I transcribed that wrong. No, 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 no. Give me a second. No, it's two, it's two, I'm sorry about that. So I I confused you with that verse. It's not chapter 3, 3 through 5. It's chapter 2, 3 through 5. So you didn't get a chance with that. Let me, let me, um, so um, he talks about, uh, among whom, he talks about redemption. He says, but God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, stuck apart from Christ, stuck in Hades even, um, made us alive together with Christ. How do you do that? By baptism and faith. The first resurrection. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right in the presence of God, and this image is going to recur in Revelation in the image of the twenty-four elders. So the candles—this is just, yeah, this is the rea- this is the reality of the church, and it's why it's why you think—and you're right—that you can just start praying to God because we because we exist in His presence and have that kind of access because Jesus has opened that for us. So um, so the mystery of the stars, and we understand the lampstands of the churches. The stars, he says, are the angels of the seven churches. And there's some uh, need to um, kind of work out the symbolism. Stars can refer to, to governance. Angel means literally messenger, and it's, um, most likely that, that the, that this revelation envisions that, uh, John will write a letter to the bishop of each church, who understood the, the messenger, the one who represents. And then there's a, but the reality of that is that church governance is supported by spiritual. I mean, it's a spiritual reality. That, 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 that has spiritual authority so it, so it's because that because it represents that that's the idea and so um, and it's interesting I was reading a thing where it says the seven stars in my right hand on the Roman coins that had Caesar's image there were seven stars on it representing Caesar's power. So this is really a, a politically revolutionary thing to say that Jesus, I hold the stars in my hand. I can say something totally different at the time. Yeah. And so Jesus, and again, remember we said this in Chapter 1, that he is, he said he was ruler over the kings of the earth. And part of the symbolism of Revelation, and it's hard for the church to understand this, but you got to get around your head, is that we rule with christ from the humble place of our prayer in church that's what determines the future course of human events not what's happening in sacramento or washington because here we're getting the unfolding judgments of god and you don't get any news flash from rome or jerusalem It's, it's, it's why, it's one reason, listen, I, I, know we have to stay informed. I'm not saying, although I, I, argue whether watching your news stays informed. I think if you really want to know about something, read deeper, go look up at, at if somebody knows about the area, read something about you, read something more than just anxious snippets. But people say you wonder what's going on in the world. I don't think that's, it, forever throughout the New Testament, What's going on in the world is what God is doing. What God is doing never looks like what's really happening. Uh, you know, we're going to have the Annunciation tomorrow. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Nazareth, nobody paid two cents worth of attention. That was the thing that changed his And this is why when we're trying to be faithful to what we're called to do, doing what we're doing faithfully where we are might be the leverage that, that really has a big impact. The more we're pulled out of that into mere power play we, we, we surrender our power. there's a whole conversation that doesn't mean we can't make stands and take positions and but you know there, there's a real question you know about it. But just but the, my point here simply is the church rules with Christ in the center of her prayer and most specifically as this picks up her Eucharistic assembly is gathering together where she ascends to be with him and and offers his intercessions with and, and with him rules the world. Okay.
0: Wow. So word are that and priests, and our priestly duty, we can enter into the holy of holies. We can boldly approach a chief. Right.
1: And we and, and, and we and seat. we intercede for the world with God and yes, we so. represent God to the world through our witness and testimony. That is our kingly and priestly. And so Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. He holds the governance of the church in his hand. So they're accountable to him. That's why, you know, when it's bishop, I got authority, well, you're accountable. That's why you don't that's why when bishops and church leaders abdicate the faith, that's a very serious thing. You you've you've abandoned, as St. Paul says, let a man so account of ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. And it's required The stewards won't be found faithful. there are a lot of unfaithful people in that capacity in our time. And um, so he holds the His hands, and then he He uh, and the seven lampstands are in his presence. And when he says, we get into to uh, chapter two, where he says, um, I, want, I want to pick up this image, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to so John's writing the letter, and, and remember how we started. God the Father gave to God the Son the revelation. Who sent an angel to John to signify it. And John sending it to the angel of the churches. So there's a, there's a process here of revelation, but the source of it is from God. And so he's writing, John's writing to the ancient church in Ephesus. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's reminding him, I hold your governess in my hand, you're accountable to me, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, this is a development of the Old Testament lampstand imagery because in the Old Testament lampstand, there was one trunk and six branches. So they were actually physically connected. But John is seeing seven distinct lampstands. Yes. And so, so John is is replacing this image. These are seven distinct standing lampstands. And Jesus Christ walks in the midst of them. So they're bound, they're, now they're geographically, there's some distinction. Um, between the lampstands and they're bound together by the presence of the one who walks in their midst their unity is in christ so there's 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 geographic distinction whereas the old testament is just one body and like when and this is interesting it, it, this is brought out in the in the letter here revelation that um whereas the prophets of the Old testament tended to um give one message to Israel. In Revelation, we're getting seven distinct messages. So seven geographical manifestations of the church together which represents the whole church. So we wanna see how this imagery is developed from temple fulfilled in church and now it's expanded out. So it's not merely a representation but a development of these images in a new way. Jesus walks amidst the lampstands. That's the unit. You know, he has the test for binding the reality of it. Like, you know, amazing, right? He has the authority over all of his persons. Within his church, walks. So, I mean, that's, that's what. Was, that's, so, when we come together here, he's standing in our presence. <coughs> For all that, for all that dual imagery that brings, like, yeah, he's here. It's, it's the tension that Martin Gordon calls between sucker and demand. Between the idea that, yeah, here's God. We, we, we're convicted, but we're embraced. But it goes the other way. It's embrace, then conviction. And that's the purification. That if we're embraced by God, we see, then we're given the grace to see ourselves more clearly and and have both that purification for our own prayer uh, which is testing that that that, that purifies us and, and 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 makes us ready to to be in god's presence
0: i keep getting the sense of of still mary Magdalene, seven demons were ca- or seven demons were cast out of her and back in those times they believe you have seven different centers in your body so i keep seeing the menorah as Christ is in the midst of like your heart is the center one and your throat is where you speak out to the world and this is where you get spiritual understanding and this is where you're connected in heaven and uh this is where your subconscious is and the psychology and stuff and this is where you reproduce and everything and then there's part of you that's connected to the, to the to the ground to connect it and so like this is just what I've been taught but I'm not saying it's orthodox Well, so or so uh, like, the only
1: thing i say about that that may be an application but it's yeah, not the not central symbol of symbolism of this passage. Just one more this, layer this, that I've seen. This, this symbolism is about the seven churches in Asia representing the universal church. There may be there may be secondary We're applications
0: in that of of
1: the um, of that to the human person. There may be there's been a couple of different ways the seven churches have played themselves out. One is. Um, The dispensationalist, I think, error was that they represented eras of church history. One commentator actually equated the seven churches with seven stages of of Old Covenant Israel. Uh, And those are all interesting. And and I think it's like, it's it's, it's not even that I, I would discount any of these applications. And I think like what Cheryl's talking about could be interesting for reflection always testing it when we look at a re- when we look at the reality of heaven we're going to see a lot of facets but the key for us always scripturally is to stay rooted in the thing that it clearly means because he said this the candles are the seven churches and the stars are the angels of the churches so any other thing is a secondary application from that central aren't we the church but these are seven distinct churches with seven distinct angels so there there's there's this is it meant and embodied the body together more than it means the individual christian so this this is this this is really talking about communities and um and how communities act, and 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 the message to the churches are going to be referendums on their communal life in every respect what they tolerate what they don't tolerate what they embrace what they don't embrace so it's not really thinking individually although individually we have we're members of the church and we have to heed that you know the warnings that come and and see how we're participating in the error that may or may not be there so it's nuance i again you just i i don't i don't um oppose uh thinking about further applications but we have to we have to get the difference between interpretations which are clear and maybe applications that are uh, that we just have to be a little bit more cautious. With. And and where a lot of theological error comes is when the secondary or tertiary application becomes the thing, and it really runs counter to what the thing itself is saying.
0: I like the idea of burning up whatever doesn't need to be there in us and in the church, and you know.
1: Well and, and I think I think what, what, what we would also say about about you know our role in this is that our own um, fullness holiness is for the church. I talked about this at morning prayer today online, that that in Western culture we're so individualistic, you know, we're trying to find my personal happiness and and so I find my personal happiness and so I do it at your expense because I'm not happy, but that's completely not biblical. So St. Paul says, well, if if it will offend you that I eat the meat, I shouldn't eat the meat ever. Because I care so much, because I'm accountable to the body, and and so my holiness is not my personal navel gaze and holiness, it is my my growth, which contributes to your growth, and your growth contributes to mine, because you have gifts and input. And when your arm gets stronger, all of a sudden, you know, your heart and everything works like that. So I think there's an application, uh, but, but we have to think beyond just individual, because it's a big danger in our culture to, 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 to articulate faith only in terms of my personal thing. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, a little more of Ephesus. Uh, and these are, the, the seventh thing is just, it's remember, I, I think the one thing, it's always the danger there's two poles of danger in in this kind of symbolic world of the Bible. But first of all, the framework is contemplation. That is, we're seeing the John symbols. And we're seeing a meaning of the symbol, um, and the symbol may have secondary things. We like, "What does that mean?" And 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 and, and so we're we're still contemplatives. Um, trying to the danger is that we, we drift off into error and untruth by not staying rooted on one of the other level is to become fundamentalist and, and and to get out of the contemplative into this means this and this means that and we stop having the humility to say we don't know what we don't know so staying rooted in 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 the, the truth of the doctrine we know and have our com- our contemplation flow out of that, okay, maybe, but we're always going to come back and test it, as John says, test the spirits. This is the balance we have to have. We won't be fundamentalists who can't um, grow in our vision of God, but we don't want to be New Agers who are flying out in the kite to the lost sight of Jesus and his death for our sins. So this is the, this is the, <laughs> this is the balance in worship that we're trying to strike. What Thornton would call the, yeah. the affective speculative synthesis. I was ask yeah, that, yeah. yeah, I love that. So, okay. Um, so he's reminding. He's starting with the idea that he holds the seven stars and he's walking amidst them. He's there with them. And so in, in verse two, I know your work, your labor, and your patience.
0: I heard very good. Uh, uh, but,
1: uh, been out there for weeks. Yeah. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So this is a um, a very orthodox church. And we remember about Ephesus, you know, there's an epistle to the Ephesians and um, in the New Testament, and someone made the point that it doesn't suggest in Ephesians any doctrinal error at all. The other interesting thing about, the, about Ephesians being a, a source here is, is by tradition where John went and lived. So... This is a church that John is going to have a lot of connection with, and it's, it seems to be doctrinally orthodox. That is, and this is all good. I know your words. I, I know them. I see how you've endured. It. And that when you see evil, you don't put up with it. And you, you test truth and, and say this is false. Uh, and those who, who are liars you call liars, you persevere, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and if not, become weary. Sounds like a pretty good resume, but there's the but then. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So wh- what does this sound like the problem is here? To our, our first love, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> so how, so how how does uh, how so so the first love is it seems like there's a dual thing here and I, one of the interesting thing about this this so you, that you've left your first love if you look up in a concordance the word love what's interesting about John's writings First John and John's Gospel has that word. More than just about any other New Testament writing, John is continually, and is in John's Gospel. What's the great commandment? The, the, the new commandment
0: love as I that have you
1: love one them. another as I have loved you. So the first love is, is I think it's this this connection between love for Christ manifested in love for 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 neighbor. Uh, he he does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love God when he is not seen? And John is very um, adamant about that connection. Love for Christ equals love for neighbor throughout First John. Um, so he's not loving his
0: brother.
1: Well, it, so the, 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 the characteristic here of Ephesus seems to be a doctrinal orthodoxy that's got a little tart hearted so we're, we're protecting the world and we don't. Now, I often quote this verse in relationship to our movement because I see this a lot of places where we've rooted all the error and, you know, they don't like each other very much. We've had Orthodox churches with church splits. Can't get along, can't be together. So what good is that? And, and so this is, this is, this is a particular, so Mary has seven churches representing the fullness of the warning. Now, remember that there's nothing wrong with the doctrinal orthodoxy. And if we will make a mistake here, if we think we ought to just get rid of the doctrine and just like have, you know, sentimental love for each other. He's not saying, he knows those words. Those are good. You know, what is wrong is wrong and error is error. It's not an excuse not to lie. And, and so you've left your first love. I, I, it made me think of a verse um, um, from Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness in the land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase all that devour him will offend you know we first come to faith there's this you know this this you know or we have moments of sort of kindled hearts and it's easy with a of time just to settle into a, a, a system of belief a habit of doing things and, and to go a little bit cold in that so we have to we have to remember that that are that that what what we believe has to has to result in manifestation and behavior that is loving and best manifested towards each other there's yet another danger with this is okay we're, yeah we're loving the you know people in africa we're loving even or rescue mission we're helping them yeah but are you how about the person sitting next to you on sunday who kind of bugs you do you pray for that person do you are you aware of, of your love? That's, that's, the, that's the litmus test of love. It also has implications just for the spiritual
0: life in general. It's, uh, you know, like when you're first baptized and you're first a Christian, have both of your
1: feet, you know, baptizing that tradition would actually dump you. And you have both of your feet in the water, right? And then afterwards
0: you dry off and everything and then i think christians tend to kind of have one foot in the holy life or in mortification purification and, and then they have one foot in the world and i think that that's kind of what this is talking about too so you like your first love is that faith that gets everything started but then after that we have to kind of always be on guard like we're also diluting it, or, or injuring it. Putting hindrances in the way of the grace that's supposed to be
1: operating inside of us. Yep, you know, I, 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 I like that. Um, I, I, and I think this is, this is why I think the focus, you know, that we emphasize again and again is on the life of prayer, that you have to return to your first life. Yeah. You have to return to that place of communion with Christ experience for yourself again what it means to be embraced fight of yourself like be aware that you're coming again you didn't quite get it done you know and so when you receive that embrace then you go from there to your neighbor and say oh well you were kind of mean to me but i didn't quite get it done either so now just as god responded to our shortcomings with love we can go out and love those as Christ has loved us. So I think it's an experiential reality. And this speaks of doctrine. We can have, there there can be a separation of doctrine from experience. And the doctrine has to be connected to the experience. So that that believing that Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God means that we are, that's where we're communing with god you know and so we have to return this each day and live live and it's i think that's why the christian life requires a discipline of uh, even a, a overall liturgy of life where we're continually coming back to god to be to remember and renew and going from that to be witnesses in the world of what we've experienced and then returning that's what we need that experiential component and experiential here doesn't only mean um like upbeat mountaintop. We we can experience times of prayer that are drier, but deeper faith knows Christ is with me and my dryness. And out of that dryness, we can still love and be with others. And in a certain sense, when we get beyond our own need for um over-the-top experiences we, we can settle into a sense of christ's continuous presence with us and then we can be with other people where they are we don't need them to work out without a need for a result from them patient with them in in where they're going through i think this is the the essence of love is not this sort of momentary i do a great thing for you but, but the relational connection measured by years that's the one thing I think I've realized that I, that's when I think about the the power of God to transform I just have been convicted how his best experience in periods measured by years there's so many people I've known now for five and ten and 15 years and I think back like oh yeah you were there struggling here it was and We've we stayed in this prayer and this communal space together. Now I see you know, God's doing this and God's doing that. And that's that's staying in that love, which is not it's not sing songs. It's, not, you know, they're upbeat moments. we will together celebrate Easter. That'll all feel good. But we're together in Lent where it's like, God, I'm wrestling with this. And we're praying for people who are going through difficult times. And, and we're together in that, and that love is, is so important. So it's important not to leave our first love, who is definitely Christ, but out of the experience of Christ, it is, I have to love the members of the body, as Jesus said, inasmuch as you get into the least for these five brothers. Aware of that, of just being present as Christ in the world. And... So that you know, and, and in our time, sometimes it's, it's we're so fueled by we can miss people because we're fueled by the need to accomplish or get tasks done. Yeah. And sometimes the why the task we're supposed to get done is like how we with somebody today.
0: Yeah, for me that's a constant challenge. Of, you know, I'm so grateful for the daily office because it does it reorients you because. You know, I'm getting calls early in the morning, and all
1: this stuff is coming at us, and really to push that away and just go go to that prayer. Just, yeah. Let's do it. We're at we're going to take We're going to go a little over time here, so stay with for five more minutes, if you would. Go and finish this. Um, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first words. Now, notice this. this also is the mercy of God. We're told in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So because you live in Christ and you're in the awareness space, he's going to let you know when your life has in it what you, you shouldn't have in it, and say, repent. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm walking in your midst. And, and, and the other issue of this because a lot of the end of this is very, is energy that comes back to the Garden of Eden. He walks amidst the lampstands. He walked in the garden, the cool of the day, with Adam and Eve. We're back in that daily relationship, and here that's a comforting—it's—it's it's that embrace and demand thing. It's like, so we got to stay connected, and we, when we come back to that connection, he might say, hey, you know, you need to think about that situation earlier today. Maybe you need to follow up on. That. Can remind us what we what we've uh, what we've done, so we can fix it in love. So repent and do the first words. Return to that love, or, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So if you if you abandon your first love who is Christ, you can take the church away. Now, notice the word come to you quickly. This is in, this interesting language. This is not the second coming at the end of time. This is the implication that Christ continually comes to his people. Comfort, to judge, to purify. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm with you, and I'm telling you a message now, and you've got to listen to it. If you don't, then I'll, I'll come to the church here, just like in verse uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 6 says, Behold, I'm coming with clouds he's coming on Jerusalem he's coming to Jerusalem in judgment in a final judgment because Jerusalem has rejected entirely the message but this church is not you know, the, the church does opportunity old covenant Israel no longer has opportunity it's, it's finished and this is the new covenant people who are still held accountable with a prophetic voice but this I, this you uh this you have that you hate the deeds of the nicolaitans which i also hate now there's an interesting uh correspondence here there's lots of speculation about who the nicolaitans are. there's one church father says a deacon named nicholas who, who taught licentiousness but there is a correspondence between verse 14 balaam and the nicolaitans because uh um Nicolet, the, the two words in Greek mean to rule over the people, just as Balaam in Hebrew means the same thing, Balam, to rule over the people. So the idea of, of somehow that, that um, following these deeds allows things, perhaps this licentiousness the captivity to, to evil things to begin to rule over people. And they hate that. They amongst the things that they they they, they um, have have speak against is they hate these deeds. And that's good, because he God hates them too. He doesn't like the ice. So it's clear that God's not just hey be lovey-dovey. it doesn't matter what you believe. No, that what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I'll just read, because we won't have people turn there, but um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Thus says the Lord God, behold, or then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent them out of the garden of Eden, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, placed the cherubim at the east of the garden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, if we repent and love, he gives us the tree of life. We enter in, because the cherubim, again, notice here, the, the flaming sword and the cherubim, they're the same creatures that surround the Holy of Holies, the ark. And so Jesus allows those who, and the word overcome here means to conquer. It's from the Greek word night, which we get the word night, it's conquest. To overcome is to conquer, and it'd be the temptation to to grow cold in your love and, and the temptations to conquer that, we get to eat the tree of life, which is clearly Jesus, because he said, I am the bread of life. Um, um, He says, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, what may eat of it and not die. So all of these images the promises are cast in terms of first the temple, and then here, the Garden of Eden, the restoration to walking with Jesus in the garden. And having intimate fellowship. And the danger to that fellowship that Ephesians are warned is, is growing cold in love. It reminds us our our, our, our our right belief has to be love for Christ expressed in love, love for, for each other. We'll stop there. So what we're going to do um, for the balance of, of Lent uh, is we have three more Thursdays and six more church letters. So we're going to do two each week, and then we'll get to Easter, and in Revelation 4, we get to come up here into heaven, so it will kind of work out nicely that way. Let us pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make His face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forever. Good with you all. Good be all. Hi, Michelle. Good to see you, Nancy, Ruth, Rhonda, Elizabeth, Ed. And uh, no one's hiding. So, good to have you. Michelle, where are you? Are you in Tucson? I am or?
0: Tucson. I have a question. Is it too late to throw a question in? Yeah, please. Okay. So, I was looking up the, this little map in the back of my church, or my Bible, that says, shows where all the seven churches are. And they're all in the, you know, the old kingdom of, or what do we call it, country of Asia. Right. Which is interesting. None of them are in Jerusalem, the early, early Christian church.
1: Say, say that? Your voice went away there for some reason.
0: So the seven churches that you that are mentioned in the chapter are all in Asia.
1: Yeah. Modern truth.
0: So, he doesn't say anything about the church of... But he does say about the church of Ephesus, which is not, though. Um, yeah. yeah. Mike is out again.
1: Your mic is going in and out on us. I don't know why.
0: Maybe it's a lousy location. Okay. Um, so, he doesn't say anything about the church of Philippi or the Thessalonians or... So, did they, they come?
1: So, this, this letter that he's writing... Um, it, it's, it's John, who by, by tradition is John the Apostle, who is an Ephesus. And, it, and what, what we're getting here, I think, is a message to these specific churches. Yeah, we got a little map here. All Asia, you know, what was Asia Minor, now is Turkey. Um, specific messages, specific churches, which symbolically represent the whole. So, so the seven is symbolically going to have an implication for all of the church which suggests that in in what the spirit says to these seven would be a message that the whole church could could embrace so uh, although so that's kind of how the symbolism works it's local to this particular region but it's also because of the seven symbolism of the whole refers to the whole church.
0: okay. So they were all under the same rule of this emperor that they was worried about having the cult and being um, the cult for having to be pressured into worshiping the, the emperor. He was the same emperor all over Jerusalem at the same time, too. So
1: the, each of these cities has its own unique um, form of idolatry. Like in Ephesus, they had the, the goddess Diana or Artemis. And there was a great temple to her, and so um, that was some of the temptation there. And and there is for for more information on the Ephesians, there's an extended account of how the gospel was preached to Ephesus and Acts. Um, and then these other churches have different things, and 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 so Christians in each place face different things. So it's not really. I mean, it's all paganism. It's all, but it's it's it has a slightly different cast in each church. Right. So So weird
0: that yes. he didn't at least mention one of the churches in in Jerusalem or in Israel somewhere, because well, that was then you're talking about how then he's going to punish them if they don't return to their first love, and it's really Jerusalem. And they were taken over and, and you know destroyed.
1: Yes, I think I think what the church, what the, what we're going to get into the church in Jerusalem is the symbolism is that it's going to be warned to flee Jerusalem before the judgment comes. So when we we get um, we're going to get some symbolism refers to this because. Um, Basically, after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, there is no church in Israel.
0: Hmm.
1: The Christians fled Jerusalem across the Jordan River uh, uh, by tradition into a, into a city called Pella. And that's how they're saved from the judges coming on Jerusalem. But in, in John's idea here, though, the geographic locale is completely unimportant. They're symbolic of the fact that the church, represented by the candlesticks, exists in the presence of God in heaven. And because there's seven, it's the fullness of it. So it, by implication, would include Philippi, Corinth, and all the other places. And by implication, the messages to these churches would have application to all that's going on in their place as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. thank you. All right. Yeah,
1: you have-, oh. hey, have it. Um I'll make sure in in future classes to you know ask the questions and uh use some space for that during it too. So I don't know who my favorite was actually. I, I maybe Marjorie can the other Hey, like, you know who's really I think
0: we really influences us. Uh, as we can all do because I love the way she finds our everyday life. He said that Marjorie Kemp, the book of Marjorie Kemp is on audible. Yeah. I'm gonna get that. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: fun it's fun. Listen. She sounded like a wild and crazy woman. She
0: sounded amazing to me. I don't know. I, I think it's, are you thinking of Julian? no. no. Oh, okay. I Yeah. So we're praying for Leonora. Oh, thank Yeah, you. yeah.
1: that's cool. Very good. She'll pray praying that her husband doesn't lose his mind and <laughs> fly off the flare. <laughs>
0: so how long is she in Texas? Uh,
1: Well, she's going to be leaving tomorrow morning. She'll be gone.